What happens when there's an emergency? A storm can have a huge impact on our community and on your own health and safety. There may be downed power lines, blocked roads. And these situations require a coordinated response to ensure that we can recover quickly. The region's Emergency Management Office, or EMO, takes care of this. And they have a big job behind the scenes. So the EMO must plan and drill for any scenario. Blizzards, floods, fires, and power outages all seem like the usual fare to them. But what are some of the other scenarios we could face? What are you getting at, Sam? Well, I I read their website and they talk about promoting a preparedness mindset. So that made me wonder, like, how far does this go? Oh, boy. (laughs) All right. So, well, I sat down with an aerospace engineer to talk about objects from space. Welcome to your Region Pod, where we talk about regional services that impact your life, sometimes without you even knowing it. I'm Sherry, and this is my co-host, Sam. In this episode, I guess we'll learn about objects from space, as well as some of the more common emergencies and what you can do to be ready. How to develop muscle memory so when something happens, you know what to do. Let's start with what the EMO does. Here are two members of the team, Ryan Make and Lauren Heber. I'm Ryan Mack, and... I'm an advisor in emergency management office at the region of Waterloo. Also hold uh, the role of a community emergency management coordinator. So that's something that the province requires uh, our municipality in Ontario to have. And I'm Lauren Hebert. I am also an advisor with the emergency management office at the region. And I also am a community emergency management coordinator. A little bit about what we do. We prepare the regional government to respond to and recover from large community emergencies. There's many ways that we can achieve this. Part of our programming, we'll do public education, get social media messaging out there for preparedness. We do staff training, making sure our staff know what to do during an emergency and before. We write emergency plans. We uh, design and deliver emergency exercises, which are a ton of fun. We also have legislative requirements with the province um, to help keep us on track. So there's many ways um, that we do to prepare the the government to make sure we're ready for anything. It's a bit of a jack of all trades sometimes, right? Like sometimes you need to be specialist, but also generalist too, where you don't know what could be coming down the pipe. There's actually someone um, once told me that emergency management versus being like a a specialized doctor, like a, a cardiac doctor. If you're a cardiac doctor, you went to school for that specific organ, you know everything about it. When you're on call, you know you're getting a call for something to do with that organ. But what if you're emergency management, you could be getting a call for a leg. You could be getting a call for the brain, for a lung. Like you have no idea when you answer that phone what it's going to be, right? So you kind of have to be ready for anything and any hazard that might come. And this is where Sam's sci-fi brain comes in. You know it. All right. So I sat down with Eric Choi an aerospace engineer based out of Toronto to find out what the odds are that a space object or craft could land right here in Waterloo region. Hi, my name is Eric Choi. I'm an aerospace engineer and science fiction writer based in Toronto. How often do objects fall from space or orbit and enter our atmosphere and collide with the Earth? The probability of any particular person, say you or I, being hit by something from space, I think it's probably something on the order of like one in a billion or something like that. So, you know, not something that most people would have to worry about on a day-to-day basis. I think there was only one person that we know of in recorded history that has ever been confirmed to have been harmed 
or directly hurt by something falling from space. So this was a case in the 1950s, uh, somebody by the name of Ann Hodge, who was just there quietly minding their own business in their house in Alabama. And one day, a meteorite came through the ceiling, uh, bounced off some furniture and struck her in the leg. And uh, this is the only case that uh, I was able to find of a person being directly harmed by something falling from space. And that's kind of remarkable if you think about it, because you ask, how often do objects come from space? And the answer is very often. There's, there's tons of material that enter the Earth's atmosphere every day. The vast majority of these are natural objects, meteoroids that come off of things like asteroids, comets, you know, even bits of, of the moon and Mars. And a growing fraction of these are artificial objects, um, you know, parts of defunct spacecraft and, and so forth. But as I said earlier, the, the, the probability of any of us being harmed by any of this, fortunately, is, is, is very, very low. And th there's a number of reasons for that. First and foremost, is that the vast majority of the Earth's surface, 70%, is covered by water. And even the remaining 30% that is not covered by water, you know, it's really not that densely populated in most places. And what kind of damage is typical of these kinds of events? Or how big would an object have to be to start causing concern? The key factor is something called the ballistic coefficient, which is basically a function of the mass as well as the size of an object. So something that is sort of like big and floppy, like a solar panel, um, would probably break up before it reached the ground. But something that was rather small and dense or made of something that was a, a heavier metal would probably reach the ground. So an example of that is in 2000, NASA deliberately had to bring down an astronomy satellite called the Compton Gamma Ray Observatory. And some of the bits that did make it down to the surface were things like small titanium bolts. So um, as I said, that the size of the object is important, but uh, also what it's made of, uh, both in terms of its density and its composition. I don't mean to sound disappointed, but it would seem that we have very little to fear when it comes to objects falling out of orbit. Nevertheless, we still have to be ready for it should it happen. So let's check in with the emergency management team and uh, have a bit of fun. I have a scenario that I want to throw at you. And this scenario imagines a space object falling or landing. Let, let me know what you think of this. Hopefully I'm not taking the all hazards piece too far. Incredibly, you aren't taking the all hazards piece too far because a uh, falling space object is something that we consider and is on the list, um, however far down it might be. I'm so happy. I'm so happy about that right now. Just saying my inner 12 year old is going, yes. Okay, sorry, I'll get out of the way. It is part of the risk assessment fire and hazmat would have to be on site as well. But we would just treat it as we would for any other um, emergency and move through our plan as an all hazard that this is just a different type. And it's the first, maybe the first time we're experiencing it, 
and we've got the right people trained to move forward. And we do have what's called um, a hazard identification risk assessment. It's a risk assessment of a whole list of hazards um, that could happen in, in the region. And we do have a, what we call a top 10, which are the 10 more common hazards that we may face um, at the region. And what this does it is it gives us an idea of how to go about our programming. Like what are some types of hazards we should be focusing on um, more uh, because we do get them more often. Things like flooding, crowd events, you know, I think of St. Patrick's Day and homecoming, um, weather events, severe weather, severe winter weather, um, you know, extreme heat, um, that sort of thing. So we do use a risk assessment. So we have an idea of what we're up against. Um, also, it's available on our website too. People can check it out. We do have a severe weather response plan. Uh, so we do have a separate plan for severe weather that we use, especially this time of year, it's starting to kick up. But we also, you know, we, we try to stay current with the best practices that are out from um, our other fellow emergency management colleagues within the province, across Canada. Um, how do we train our staff for that when that day comes? Um, one of them is doing an annual exercise. Um, and this includes partners um, within the region, external partners um, like uh, the Red Cross, Hydro, um, airport, etc. And the exercises are a lot of fun, really. They could be from like a very simple, what we call a tabletop, where you kind of you get around a table and you discuss and you, or you basically you chat through a scenario, all the way to what we call a full scale. And this is you've got actors, you know, with fake blood and missing limbs, and you've got the fire department trucks on site, and everyone's basically acting through um, an entire um, incident, which is a lot of fun as well. So we do that every year um, to make sure that uh, people get to practice in a safe environment. We have leadership training that we do every year so that our leaders know um, what their role is and their accountabilities um, during a response. We have emergency software that we use. Um, we do training for that as well. And then we're also invited to partner exercises um, to play our part um, from the region with its local municipalities, we'll partner with them on their exercises um, or the airport, uh, for example. So those are some of the ways that we do train our staff to make sure that everyone's ready to support the community through um, a large emergency. How can we, as, as regular people, just going about our daily lives, uh, be better prepared for an emergency? What, what can we do to sort of uh, uh, get into a, a preparedness mindset. For sure. And you know, it, it doesn't have to be daunting. It, it sounds like a lot. If you're building a new way of thinking, it, it sounds like, you know, very tough to do, but building a routine, if you think about, you know, if you're going back to the gym, you just don't want to go. It's hard to get, you know, into the swing, into that routine. But once you do, then it becomes more of, you know, a habit, right? So for building your preparedness mindset, I would recommend, you know, starting small, it could be something like writing down a list of emergency phone numbers, you know, family phone numbers, your doctor, vet, pharmacy, insurance. Um, you know, people might be thinking, well, I, you know, I have all of these phone, these numbers in my cell phone, which, you know, is great. Um, but what happens if your cell phone dies or you it dies, you don't have your charger, um, for example. So it's always good to have a paper copy 
available uh, of just phone numbers that you might need to, to have, right? Something simple like that. You can also do things to help you, prompting you, um, like creating a schedule. So maybe once a month or once every two months, you do an actual physical walkthrough of how you would evacuate your home from and do it from different rooms. So if I'm in my bedroom, how would I get out? And if this is blocked, how do I get out? Or if I'm in my living room or in the kitchen or in the basement, um, you know, put it in your phone and get a reminder every, you know, once a month or once or however often and actually go do and walk through it. Because if you're, if you actually push yourself to do it, it'll sink in a little bit more. You both live and breathe this kind of stuff for your work, this preparedness mindset. I'm just curious, do you have any experiences in your lives where this mindset has helped you to respond to a situation that might have come up unexpectedly? In my preparedness kit, I'm always thinking of the worst case scenario. And I think that's just a tendency for us um, working in this field. But we um, you know, have the basics in place. And in some power outages, I pulled out my... Um, my, my uh, wind up flashlight and radio just in case, you know, and um, even though we've got a lot of other ways to, uh, to access things, but just in case uh, that goes out, I've got it ready, you know, and I'm charging it. And, um, but I'll even take it to the other degree where I've got, you know, one of the, uh, the, the straws that I can go to a local river and, and drink out of the river and filter it uh, like one of those filter straws. And, um, you know, just in case we have to leave and access water that way. So I'm trying to think of that extensive situation all the time. Uh, so I live in a high-rise building, and so I've had to use, I have a, what I call a go kit. So it's good to have a kit for your home, like if you're staying put, but I have one if I have to leave, especially in if you're in an apart, a high-rise condo building, for example. Um, so fire alarms happen and evacuations happen. So I've got my go kit ready by the door. Um, and so quite a few times I've had the honor of practicing in real life my escape um, evacuation of the building. Um, and I've got a cat too, right? So got to get her into her carrier and put the bag on and, and away we go, right? So um, it's happened quite a few times and, the, and there have been real fires um, where we actually did need to leave and had um, in there, I've got food for her. We've got snacks for ourselves, you know, blankets, um, all that stuff. We need, if we actually had to leave and couldn't come back in for a while. So um, there has been a few instances where I've actually had to grab that bag um, and get out very fast. And, uh, you know, having that bag cuts down the time too. Like we're out within minutes. So Sherry, do you feel like you're prepared for an emergency? Uh, uh, any chance you're working on a bunker under your garage? Secret preps, that sort of thing. <laughs> I don't even have a blanket in my car yet, and it's winter. But I'm guessing you're prepared for the apocalypse. What does that look like at your home? Well, I do have uh, roadside kits in each of the cars. And and certainly during the sort of height of the pandemic, I kind of got a bit of that like prepper fever, right? Like when grocery stores were feeling dangerous. I was walking out of one and I, I I remember this guy walking out with like 10 packages of ground beef. And I was like, am I, does he know something I don't? And I, I don't know. So I ordered this bucket of dried food and we did a little taste test and realized that that dried pre-constituted eggs are kind of terrible. And so <laughs> I, uh, so I, yeah, I've got car kits and terrible eggs on hand. But yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I think I, I do feel like after speaking with EMO that I've got more to do. 
Yeah, for sure. Me too. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and for accommodating Sam's theoretical mind. We hope you can use some of Lauren's and Ryan's advice to develop that muscle memory to be prepared for the unexpected. Next time on Your Region Pod, we're going to introduce you to Rock. So be sure to stay tuned for that.